You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, and we're moving on. We're not going to talk about Vanderbilt anymore. We're going to mention it a little bit, but it's not going to be me. It's going to be Jimbo Fisher talking from his press conference on Monday. What exactly went right? What exactly went wrong? And how the team is moving forward to prep for their week two matchup against the likes of Alabama. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this a more quality-sounding podcast every single day, every single day is a Locked on Aggies podcast day, do so and follow me on social media. Secondly, at Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things Texas A&M related content found on LOP. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. So I won't go long because it's not about how you start, but rather how you finish. A&M did get the win on Saturday, 17-12 over the likes of the Vanderbilt Commodores, and they are sitting still ranked in the top 15, coming in at number 13 this upcoming week. More importantly, they're 1-0. You're looking at a couple teams, specifically LSU, the defending national champions. They're sitting 0-1. You're looking at a Texas team that nearly got their butt whooped by Texas Tech. So, it's not as if A&M should be feeling depleted at this moment, but they definitely have some cause for concern. Mainly because of the inaccuracy on offense was something that I really was not a fan of. And it's something that has to be addressed very soon. Jimbo Fisher, A&M head coach, did his best on Monday to reiterate about how everything goes in emotion and it takes time to develop. Now come back uh, after evaluating the film. Uh, there's some good things on there and there's some, there's some things we have to clean up and get better, get a lot better at. Uh, a lot of critical plays in the game that we could have uh, had control of the game that we have to learn to execute on both sides of the ball and in special teams. But at the same time, see where those issues are, how to fix them, the way to fix them. They're very fixable. And the guys can and plenty do the job. And uh, just got to get ready and get better between the first and second game. Got a great opponent coming up. But uh, had opportunities on both sides of the ball throughout the game to take control, let them stay in the game. They did a very good job. But at the end of the day, our guys still had to make plays on defense when we had to get the ball back, create some turnovers. Uh, offensively, uh, had opportunities to score, scored a couple early in the second half, and then, uh, uh, but then got to four minute at the end, got a huge drive with the defense, never had to go back on the field, got a big first down, but also on offense, got to clean up turnovers, and that's that's the th- big thing. So two or three of those turnovers are ready to score points, and if you get there to up two to three scores in the game, you can get control of the game, but those are things we have to do, learn to play those critical plays better and do that. And uh, two uh, miscues we had on special teams in the return game, uh, you know, we got to get that cleaned up. I uh, thought we had, you know, keep working on that and uh, get better at that because we have two very talented guys doing that and uh, made two poor decisions, but we'll get that coached up. We'll do a better job coaching them and get going. But we have to get ready. Got a very good team coming up. Alabama, as you all know, great team. Been a great team uh, for a long time. Very talented in all three phases of the game and uh, playing played very well their opening game. And uh, we got to go on the road and play them, so we'll have to get ready to play. The turnovers is something that is always going to be a big concern for me. And the reason why is three of the four were in Vanderbilt territory. I mean, you have your first one come. It was in the second quarter. It was right after they scored the Anaya Smith touchdown. And they're in Vandy's 22, 20, Vandy's 28-yard line. They're right outside the red zone. 
You can't have Mon go backwards. He has to go forwards. 10-yard loss that ended up being a, stri- uh, being a strip, and it was recovered by Vandy. Then you did it again three times in the second half. Don't get me wrong. Mon did get the run. He got the first down, but then he fumbles. Set up a touchdown for Vanderbilt. They sell for a field goal. Five plays later, Jalen Preston fumbles. Five plays on offense later. And that's after two big-time runs from Anaya Smith and Isaiah Spiller. 11 yards, 24 yards, puts you in Vandy territory. Don't get me wrong. You get the false start call. Now you're right about midfield. And then you get a beautiful interception by Leon O'Neal in great coverage. I mean, fantastic coverage. You could not have two better back-to-back plays for A&M near, near A&M's territory. I mean, you go from inside the red zone of A&M for a 10-yard sack by Michael Clemens. Seals, freshman, frustrated, throws an interception. Leon O'Neal returns it and nearly brings it back to Vandy territory. And then four plays later, you fumble trying to go for it on fourth and short. You're lucky that those last few plays was just enough to squeeze out a victory. But those are things that you have to be frustrated with. Again, moving ahead. It's all about what what moves ahead. But those turnovers cannot happen. Especially on negative plays. Because any single time it's a negative play, it's only more positive for the opposing team. So again, a a 10-yard loss on a run by Mond that ends with a fumble. That's 10 more yards that they wouldn't have gained beforehand. That's 10 yards that could have kept them out of the end zone. They didn't score, but it's 10 more yards that could have pushed them back and set you up. I like they brought up special teams. I really did. Anaya Smith is a really talented player. I don't understand what he was thinking when you see that play. There's a, there's a rule of thought that I was always taught when I was playing in, back in high school. And it was, if it's outside of the 15, don't go back. You just let it go. Because it's more than likely, if it's not pinpoint accurate, it's going to bounce in the end zone, and that's touchback. But the second you touch that ball, it's a big mistake. Brian Cole, I don't know what you're thinking, man. I get it. I do. You're setting up a block. But look at the line. Any penalty... In that area is automatic points to the opposing team. It's automatic. That's day one football knowledge. You have to know. Again, I got nothing really negative to say about Mike Elko's squad. They played a dang good game. I want to see more pass rush. But Michael Clemens and McKinley Jackson each getting uh, at least one sack on the day. McKinley Jackson got half a sack technically, but still three sacks. I mean, that's not bad. It's not bad for a unit that... You're trying to find the replacement for your lead, your team leader in sacks. It's not the worst day. Mike Clemens had a good game. I definitely think there's room for improvement. Uh, but again, the biggest question marks are on offense. And it's not like on offense, there weren't their own flaws outside of Kellen Mond. There were. There was a ton. I mean, even guys like Jalen Preston, who had a decent game. Guys like Caleb Chapman had a decent game. There's still flaws with their game. So it brings me to my attention. You have a freshman in Demond Demas, who is a top 25 player in the nation against a defense that could not handle speed whatsoever. 
So what went through Jimbo Fisher's mind not to play him on Saturday night? You have a running back and an all-purpose player in Devon Shane who has only speed. He's pure speed. Why was he not more involved in packages against a Commodore defense that allowed consistent runs of 8-plus yards, of 12-plus yards, 15, 24 yards? Fisher had something to say about that. They're playing their positions. They're doing very well. And we didn't have many carries. We're just making sure we're trying to get Spiller and Anias some carries in the beginning and make sure they get enough time because Spiller didn't get enough time until we got him in the game and got going. We want to get him in early. We had a plan to get him all in there. We didn't have as many plays. And, you know, those other guys on offense were playing well. It became a very tight game and not a game that, you know, wasn't a chance to break a new guy in for his first time. And he's doing well, playing well. All those guys are – I'm very happy with them. They're going to be really good football players, and you're going to see them here in the future. We just got to get the right situation to get him in there. And that, just, that opening game right there just wasn't the right time, in our opinion. Could have played him, and I think they would have been okay. But there was no reason to take a chance when the other guys were in a, getting in a groove right there and we were in a one-possession game. Would you expect that they would play this week? Yeah, hopefully. Sometimes you need an X-Factor to step up. And sometimes that comes at the cost of maybe seeing a veteran talent be pushed to the side. In a game this close, with a talent that's so unproven... Maybe it is actually worth taking a chance on. A guy like Demas, who there is no true number one receiver right now, why didn't you play him? Maybe he would have been the spark plug. There's two plays. Two plays, he wins on a post pattern against a Vanderbilt corner who struggled in coverage. Gets burnt. Monconex, 57-yard touchdown. 57 you know, 72-yard touchdown. All Demas. Just modest to get the ball in the right spot. What if you run the exact same play you ran with Anaya Smith when he scored his touchdown and you give it to a guy like Ashane, who's just pure speed? Foot race, nobody's beating him. Foot race, he wins. And then you don't have to worry about it being a one-possession game. Maybe that's a two-possession game. Or a four-possession game. Or maybe it's that spark plug that picks up to make the game so much clearer moving forward. That's my opinion. Yeah, A&M got the win. I know. I'm moving forward with it. But sometimes it's best to look on the outside to find your solution inside. And I do think maybe Demas would have been the solution at the wide receiver role. Four guys. Four receivers. None had over 50 yards. I, I mean, to me... That's a little unacceptable, especially with guys who have been in the program for multiple years. That falls back on Mon, or does that fall on them? Who's to say? Who is to say? So let me break this down for you. How many of you have auto part troubles and you don't want to pay those extra service fees to go fix a part you could probably just order online and install yourself? That's why I recommend to use rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is an online auto parts service system that has been serving customers for the past 20 years. They have a variety of selections from models to makeshifts to years to every single little detail part you could ever need. Plus, with their impressive catalog, you can find the actual part made for your car, kind of like Ross Jackson did with the back of his pickup truck, finding a new tailgate, having it shipped to his house, and installing it for a fraction of the price. Go to rockauto.com and type in locked on on the how'd you hear about section so they know that we sent you. Amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the auto parts you will ever need. Rockauto.com is the place to be. 
Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality sounding podcasts every single day? If so, why not listen to a Locked On Podcast? The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows plus every team covered in the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, and highlight information to get you geared up to win your fantasy football league this upcoming season. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. So probably the biggest elephant in the room, and everyone wants to know, will Kellen Mond be on a short leash against Alabama? That was a question asked and answered all within a matter of seconds by Jimbo Fisher. Listen, Kellen, he, he played a... I went back through the game. Decision-making was well. We missed it. There was about four or five throws he wish he could have made. Uh, a rail route uh, on uh, twice right there. A low ball to our tight end one time, and a, and a ball across the middle we hit, but could have got up for a big one. Uh, but, you know, you're always – if something happens and your team's not moving, but at the same time still did a lot of good things with football, and you got to take care of the two, the two critical turnovers uh, on the fumble on the slide we can't have. And uh, – at the end of him and him in the back on the on the pull mesh because we're pulling it and it's going to be a touchdown. But however that works between two guys, we do those 25 to 50 times a day depending on which day it is. So we got to get that ironed out. But yes, you're always every player is. But still, I mean, Kellen's played a lot of football and had a lot of experience, and we'll keep playing and knowing what we're doing and get those. You keep developing those other guys. You're right. You have to keep developing those other guys because is Kellen Mond really it? We're going to find out this upcoming week. Here's the thing. A&M can still win the SEC West a big way. And I mentioned it on yesterday's show, and I'll mention it again. It's all about the run game. Isaiah Spiller, one running back, one dude, out of everyone in the SEC, eclipsed at least 100 yards on the day. No one else did. Nigel Harris came close for Alabama with 96. But outside of that, nobody came close. 117. Anaya Smith finished just outside the top 10 in rushing. 57. He also scored a touchdown on the option. I mean, if that's got to be your offensive identity, make it your offensive identity. It works in the NFL still. I mean, you look at what Arthur Smith does with the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill, even though he's progressed as a starter, really in the last two years, because he's he started very hot, even in a game against Minnesota that they probably should have depleted the Vikings secondary, he still had a decent game. But they run the ball. It's a run-heavy team. Cleveland. Kevin Stefanski. Do you know what made Minnesota effective last year? Relying on Dalvin Cook and limiting Kirk Cousins as a passer. Do you know what's going on in Cleveland right now and why they are sitting at 2-1? and one? It's not because of the defense. It's not because of Baker. It's because of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. You have one power back, you have one speed back, and you have two backs who can make defenders miss in the open field. That's the exact same thing you have in College Station right now. You have one power back, you have one speed back, and you also have a scat back in Devon Ashane who can be a limited factor, especially on checkdowns and bubble routes and quick screens, all that. To where all mods got to do is a little dump and let the speedster do his magic in the open field. Spiller's a brute. Smith is speed. And he's shifty. Ashane is a line runner who will win every foot race 10 out of 10. You have to figure out something to do. Maybe that should be the game plan against Alabama. Don't get me wrong. 
Alabama's defensive front, they play like an Alabama defensive front. One dude had over 20 yards. Larry Roundtree III had 67 yards, but Sean Robinson, the quarterback, one of the two quarterbacks, had negative 35. So they finished with 69 yards on the day. They had seven guys rush. One got over 20. That's going to be AM's bread and butter right now. I mean, you have a guy going 189 a game. A third-year quarterback in the system. 189. With receivers who you still don't know who's your true number one. And you're trying to play against Alabama to prove you deserve to stay in the top 15 conversation. Let alone the top 25 conversation. I saw enough of Anaya Smith and enough of Isaiah Spiller to realize that is your offense. Sometimes it maybe isn't fun, but it works. And again, he mentioned it. The reason Ashane did not play was because they wanted to get enough reps for Spiller. And let's be honest, when Spiller was out there, he was good. He was the best player on the field that day. He might be the best player at AM right now. I still think it's to Marvin Leal, but I think Spiller's pretty dang close. Even though the position is no longer valuable in the NFL, it's still valuable in college. And when you play a Nick Saban team, the way to win against a Nick Saban team is by using your secret weapon. And that's what Jimbo Fisher talked about. How do you prepare for facing off against the Nick Saban football team? I mean, they, 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 they've established a culture of winning and playing great football. And, and, that, and they, they've established that over a long period of time. And Nick's got that established there. So, I mean, that's the first thing because they understand how to win. They're very sound. They're multiple schemes. They're very, they're very sophisticated, very complex in all their things on offense and defense. And there's a lot of variations off of it. And they have, of course, they have the weapons all over the field to what you have. So they can use them. They know how to use them. And, uh, and they've established it over a long period of time, and they've created great competition within their team with their team depth to get on that field. So, you know, you got guys that are playing very well, and they know how to win, and, and they're very well coached. Always respect your elders. Ain't that right, Jimbo? I mean, again, Nick Saban, the grandfather of the SEC. More importantly, the guy who really helped Jimbo Fisher become the coach that he was at Florida State before taking over as the offense coordinator, before becoming the head coach at AM, before becoming the head coach in Tallahassee and winning a national title with Jameis Winston. He was an offense coordinator at LSU working alongside Nick Saban. All right, what else should the Aggies be watching for, according to Fisher, going into Saturday's matchup with the Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which the game will be featured on CBS Sports as the SEC Game of the Week. Don't go anywhere. We'll be breaking down what he had to finish up with in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media, at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked On Aggies. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and listen live every single day. Every single day is a Locked On Aggies podcast day, found at LockedOnPodcast.com. So again, Alabama, brand new opponent, number two team in the nation, host of the likes of A&M. You gotta love it. I mean, you gotta love that this is the competition that A&M is gonna see this early. Even if they're not ready, you're going to find out exactly who A&M is this upcoming season in this week. A hundred percent. Because if they can play close with Alabama, they can hang around with Florida, who is the week after that. If they can hang around with Florida, they don't have to worry about the air raid offense that destroyed LSU this past weekend in the form of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. But A&M, 
against Vanderbilt, who is going to be an actual competent defense. Let's just say that. Their defense is actually going to be okay. I think that's Derek Mason's bread and butter that he can rely on this year with him probably being on the hot seat. They only ran 55 plays, A&M. That is something that Fisher hopes to see change with the likes of the Crimson Tide, especially against a Pete Golding defense that allowed the Tigers of Missouri to score late. Ideally, we'd like to have 70 to 80 plays a game or more. I mean, because you don't want to overdo 90 or 100, I think you can do it. But big thing, we had to convert third down. We had two great drives the first half. We had it. And you also get how many possessions you get back from your defense. Like I say, they hit a couple third down conversions early in that game. They converted third downs, which is something we got to work on on defense, and gave up some third downs. We didn't get the ball back. They had the first drive was like like an eight-minute drive. You know, your quarter's over, and we go three and out. Then we have a touchdown drive, and then another long – actually, the other drive was longer than the touchdown drive. Uh, We were ready to score, and we fumbled, and it was halftime. So, I mean, that's two things. It's not just the pace you play with on offense. It's getting stops on defense and getting the ball back to you, too, which allows you to get in the rhythm or get into that, too. So, either way, I mean, by how you got to play the game. So, to go no huddle and do all that real fast is good, but you don't want to play your defense 90, but there is a tempo that you want to get more, and we'd like to have 75 to 85 plays a game. That's what we usually average somewhere in that realm. You want to average that much, it's about making sure the efficiency is there. And A&M was only 40% efficient on third down last week against Vanderbilt. So, you got to get up higher on that. You also got to keep the drives going when a defense gets turnover. A&M had two turnovers late. They had a Damani Richardson interception and they had a Leon O'Neill interception. One ended with field goal. The other one ended with a fumble. You have to keep those plays alive. And that fumble, four plays. Four, four or five. I'm mistaken on that. I don't, I don't have it in front of me right now, but it was four or five plays. You can't have a 70-yard, a 70-play game to go back and look at the film when there's not enough there. Because if you're going three and out, you're going, you know, maybe six plays a drive. And again, clock management is important, especially against a team like Alabama, who is still trying to figure out what their offense is going to be. Is Mac Jones legitimately the quarterback next in line to take over for two attack of Eloa? Or is Bryce Young, the freshman from California, the next sensation going to be eventually coming in and starting? I mean, Bryce Young played the entire fourth quarter against the likes of Missouri. He didn't look great. Like, he didn't look great at all. He looked kind of rough if you want my ass to think in a bit. Finished with, I think it was 59 passing yards. Five for eight. He didn't throw a pass over eight yards. I mean, so right now, Mac Jones is likely going to be the guy. But Mac Jones had some throws that were fantastic against the Tigers. He had some rough ones. He had some wide open shots that he missed. We just saw what happens when a new quarterback in a system comes in and overshoots his target. Twice. It led to turnovers. The important thing for AM is to capitalize on those turnovers and to give the ball back to Kellen Mott. Give the ball back to the offense. This, however, is going to be Kellen Mott's defining moment in AM history. I don't think you're going to see him not leave College Station without the passing record. I think everything that he's done is something that people are going to see. And Fisher, I think, has that respect. In games against, I would say, Ole Miss, 
in games against the likes of Arkansas, you know, opponents whose defenses are going to struggle. I would not be shocked to see him start the game. Maybe you start running Calzada out there with him. Maybe you run Haynes out there with him at, at the same time. But I still think Mond is going to get the call 8 out of 10. I think the only game I would not not expect to see Kellen Mond starting this upcoming year would be Auburn. Now, that does not mean he finishes every single game. But I do think he will start every single game except Auburn, even if he struggles. And at the end of the day, it's about what you do with the most of your possessions. There's really a lot to like about his throwing when he did throw. But he had three big mistakes in fumbles. You can't have that. And Fisher talked about that. And how sometimes the mistakes last and linger longer than any of the positive moments. And we have to play better, keep playing better around him too. But, you know, as a quarterback, you can play, you can have 100 plays. You can play 97 of them perfect. There's two or three bad plays. You touch the ball every time can affect the outcome of the game no matter what that scenario is. And you have to understand that. And, and you know, there's you got to be perfect as a quarterback. That's just the way you got to play. That's the way you got to think. Don't expect Mon to go anywhere, at least for this week. I expect him to probably still be the starter going into week three against Florida. But I will say this. If he can progress against Alabama, I do think that there is something there. But I still think the way to beat Alabama at their own game is to rely on the run game. This is not one of those games where I would say risk it. Go with what you know and see if it works. Sometimes it really does. You have two NFL teams who are not trying to overdo their quarterbacks and just relying on what is in their backfield. And they're sitting at 3-0 and 2-1. You have another team who's throwing constantly with a quarterback that is struggling. And they're sitting 0-3. Do you want to be sitting with a chance at 2-0 against a top 5 opponent in Florida where you take down back-to-back top 5 opponents or do you want to be sitting 1-1 one and, one and playing for your season already in week 3? That's really what this comes down to. That's good for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Listen every single day on LockedOnPodcast.com. Tomorrow, we'll have a very special guest joining the podcast. He comes from behind enemy lines. Who's it going to be talking about the Crimson Tide? Don't go anywhere. We will see you tomorrow for you to tune in and listen. And remember, give me all. This has been Locked on Aggies. Presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.